Hi, I'm so glad that you could join us today. Uh, let me get my radio audience with us. So hello and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. Uh, if you enjoyed today's uh, interview, we have a wonderful interview and a wonderful guest today. If you interview, uh, if the interview interests you, then you can certainly loop back in through narctroopers.com uh, or go to the links that will be posted in the description to contact with our guest. Today we have Phoenix Gould. She is a certified professional life coach and specializes in helping women to get out of the trauma bond and to heal from narcissistic abuse. She creates transformative experiences for her clients so that change is easy and permanent. And I think that those are, are the things that we all want is to have change that is um, uh, interest, you know, that's going to last, that's going to be permanent. So welcome Phoebe. Uh, to our uh, podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much, Praji, and it's a pleasure. And I just want to say my name is Phoenix, but it kind of, oh, you know, happens often. That people call me Phoebe all the time. I think it's because well, when you type it into a chat, the chat turns it into Phoebe. <laughs> okay, well, we're especially going to remember that now because I know that when uh, people get my name wrong, my whole life. My real name is Prajin Satapitanon Pesqueda, and um, it isn't spelled anything like it's pronounced, so no one ever gets it right. I get all kinds of pronunciations, but once we get through all that, I think that they remember it more easily because it was something that was, uh, you know, <laughs> something that they had to put a little extra energy into. So Phoenix, um, we've got that Phoenix Gold Gould. And um, so we're here today to talk about um, recovering from narcissism. And I know one of the things that we had um, said that we were going to talk about is that, you know, one of the things that almost every person who comes out of this has remarked upon is how much it changed them. Their personality changed. They become that they became unrecognizable to themselves and to their families and friends and just everyone. And they didn't even understand why. Sometimes they would say things like, I can't believe that I did such and such. That's not me. I would never do such a thing. I don't understand why I did. So I think that's a good jumping off point for today to talk a little bit about this change in personality that people experience when they are tangled up with a person with narcissistic personality disorder, uh, because their behavior really is altered in some very profound uh, and sometimes permanent ways. Um, would you like to kind of delve into that a little bit more? Sure, sure. <clears throat> well, there actually are physiological changes that are happening in the brain. And I could get into those if you would like. We could start with those and then go through um, maybe more of an explana explanation of what exactly happens, you know, in in the connection with a narcissist, why they happen. I but think that's a, 
interesting, very interesting. And it's almost kind of necessary to make it real, you know, unless people really understand that it's a brain phenomena, not just some personality quirk. Uh, they don't fully grasp how huge that is and what, uh, you know, how profound the, that the, that the disorder actually is. Okay, sure. Yeah, let's start with that. I think that's a good idea. So there, there are three different areas in the brain that are being impacted by trauma. And we all know that being with a narcissist causes trauma. And so the first part is the amygdala, which is enlarged in people with trauma. And that is the emotional center of our body. And it stimulates the fight and flight response, which means that we are always in a state of, of um, excitement and we are always, we're being primed to either fight or flee. And that, that changes our tolerance for stress because when we're always excited like this, we're easily triggered. So we can't handle stress very well because any stress we experience, we experience as more massive as an, than a normal stress. And so that also then um, creates a situation where we are really, in, in, we are not very able to uh, regulate our emotions. And this is often what people experience, right? They're saying, oh my God, I reacted so strongly. Why did I? I don't understand. Why did I make such a big deal? That is the one. The other is the hippocampus. And this is the short-term memory in our brain and it shrinks. And it provokes that we don't quite know anymore which memories happened in the past and which memories happen now. We get them mixed up. And um, this is also what PTSD is about. We have flashbacks. We might have flashbacks into the past, but they feel like they're happening right now. The so last one is. Can I, can I yes. ask you a question there? Sure, please do. The yes. part of, is this the part of the brain that uh, affects the kind of uh, amnesia that some trauma victims uh, experience? And because with the narcissist, they do have selective amnesia. I read somewhere that they only remember 10 or 20% of any kind of emotional content or history. They just revise it, rewrite it, and whenever they come across a gap or a hole, they just fabricate it and confabulate it and, and just make it up from scratch, and then they believe their own fiction. Is that the part of the brain that's responsible for all that amnesia and stuff? And does it work the same with the trauma victim with their sort of amnesia and trauma? I wish I knew the answer to the question. I really don't, unfortunately. But, um, you know, as it is related to memory, it's related to short-term memory more than anything. Oh, so I'm not exactly sure where the long-term memory is in the brain, but it's the short-term memory that the hippocampus is, is, um, is responsible for. So I'm not quite sure how it relates to your question, to be honest. Okay. Well, I know that is definitely... Um... Uh, a thing that that happens with the the selective amnesia and i'm quite sure that there's some part of the brain um that is not working correctly that makes that happen i don't know either <laughs> but i know that it's it's in the brain it's not a 
uh, random choice kind of decision to do that. It's a brain abnormality that causes it. I've read that. I just don't remember the name of mm -hmm. the part. So, okay, go ahead. So interesting to find out. We've got the amygdala, the hippocampus. And the prefrontal cortex, which is in the front of the brain. And it handles in part also emotional um, emotional regulations, but also rational thought. And this is something that you know we experience in a relationship. We can't think straight. Rational thought is really, really difficult. Decisions are very difficult to make. Um, we're not quite sure anymore what's real. We um, have a hard time to express our feelings and our emotions. And also, um, when, when this happens, well, the prefrontal cortex shrinks. And so when that happens, we also get into a negative thinking pattern, right? This, nothing's going to get better. So the dreams kind of fly out the door. Solutions fly out the door because we, we, get, we get stuck in the negative thinking pattern as well. But I think the most, you know, strongest thing here is that it's really hard to make decisions. So when we are in a relationship with a narcissist, you know, a lot of us know it's really hard to leave. We don't know anymore. Am, am I the one that's wrong here? Is it the narcissist? Should I stay? Should I go? We, we just don't know anymore. So I guess that's a kind of... Uh of um, cognitive dissonance that happens where, uh, we, you know, the whole reality thing is very interesting to me because I've, I've read in many studies that um, narcissistic personality disorder and even psychopathy is a reality-based disorder. It's a delusional disorder and can be a dissociative disorder so that their their version of reality where they exist is not what a neurotypical person would uh, experience. You know, they're on some other multiverse <laughs> plane of existence that's not even recognizable. It's got different rules. It's got a different history. It's got different everything. And that they are not grounded in any reality in this world that you and I live in, uh, rarely, if ever. <laughs> and and they believe that since they're in some alternate um, reality, they think everyone else is experiencing things the way they are. So they don't understand the disconnect of why things seem different for others and why they seem to be kind of the odd duck. I mean, I've had a narcissist comment like I knew early on there was something different about me something wrong something that set me apart uh, and I never knew what it was so I have a question for you here do you think that um, that you know the early trauma that most narcissists experienced do you think that caused some kind of developmental uh, interruption in their brain chemistry, the brain, actually the formation of their growing brain, because because all of that is not finished. It's all a work in progress, all of this, when you're young. Um, and I think prefrontal cortex is still developing into your 20s. 
but especially as children when they don't hit those land, those benchmarks, those um, developmental points that are supposed to be happening, do you think that it causes, when I say developmentally, like their brain physically stops doing what it's supposed to do and becomes kind of having some kind of paralysis or something where it doesn't develop, therefore it's it's less developed like i i've heard they have less gray matter in their in their um interior insula insula interior insula that they have less gray matter how does that happen do you think it's a birth defect like they're born that way they say psychopaths are born that way it can be hereditary and there can be a predisposition passed along kind of like the alcoholism gene um or other mental illnesses that could be passed generationally is it like like the psychopath that they're born with the brain that is not like other people's or do you think it's caused by trauma or both Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm not the expert of it, and it's really just the research that I've been reading, you know, for years also. So what I what I found in the research is that uh, narcissism gets fixed by the age of six or before. And so ver whereas the psychopath, as you mentioned, is born that way, a, a narcissist is made. And so yeah. I, you know, so in that in that time frame between zero and six something happens or doesn't happen in the brain that makes them who they are and i find it very interesting that you know if you look at the development of children that by the age of six or seven that is they only start at the age of six or seven to be able to be empathetic towards others in the way that we expect an adult to be having empathy um, and so it's not there before. Before they're more like self-centered and then around six and seven, they become way more aware of others and that empathy starts to be there. It shows up. And so, you know, that makes sense that by the age of six, it's already established when someone is a narcissist because that developmental change never really happens, right? They don't have the empathy, which is probably the most striking difference i would think yes that's just the worst feature i think too because it's just such a basic human thing to share each other's pain and to uh, be hurt when other people are hurt and when you take that out of the equation you've got something else entirely you know going on there um can we shift and speak about this in terms of the changes that because we've established now what's going on with the narcissists mm -hmm. with their brain and because they have all of these things that are um i don't know what you want to call it things that are wrong with their actual the the way they're the physiology of the brain functioning what happens to the people that partner with them who are who are either yes. their children and are raised by them or they are their mate and they are boyfriend girlfriend husband wife and maybe spend a long you know years when you're growing up with a parents that are narcissists that's your whole childhood and when you're married mm -hmm. to one i i have had clients that were married like 25 28 years to the same 
person with narcissistic personality disorder who was diagnosed by mental health professionals, but they all just kind of dismissed it and thought, okay, we don't even know what that means. So we're not going to worry about it. And then in the end, they did, you know, really um, what they always do when they go full cycle. So how does that, how does what they are interact with their people that are with them, that love them, that depend mm -hmm. on them and trust them? Yes. How does that do something to their, to that person's brain so that you end up both of you uh, having problem like with your brain and all of that yeah. Can we talk about that sure i think that's even the most more interesting part and what i just said the physiological changes i just described happen because of trauma and so yes this might also have happened for the narcissist very early on but these changes are also happening in people who have been with a narcissist yes and have been experiencing trauma but the way it happens is really interesting, I find, because, you know, in the beginning of the relationship, we're still ourselves, hopefully, to one degree or another, unless we have already grown up with a narcissist, right? But let's say we're quite well put together and we, we run our life and we, we know how to be in the world and we come to be with a narcissist. It starts very early, the slight changes that are happening. And I think it starts already in the love bombing phase you know, when we're being with the person and they mirror us so well that we feel seen and heard and understood for the first time in our life. And we feel we found our, uh, our soulmate and they understand everything. There is, um, there is an aspect of being with a person that we're so fascinated with that oh. our whole attention turns towards them. Right. right. And so we're we're getting we're getting primed already to focus on them extensively because there is so much positive feedback to be had. And so we kind of lose ourselves a little bit, even if you know that you know some of the narcissists are really skilled in um, having this hypnotizing power when they just you know watch you and they lock eyes with you and it's really hard to shift away from that focus. And so when we are with a person and we love them and we think they are the best things in sliced bread, we want to spend more time with them. And so this is where we already start to cut off friends and family, right? This is it. This is the person you want to be with because it feels so incredibly good. Yes. So this is where the emotions... Let me just add right there. I want yes, to yes. emphasize this, that relationships with these narcissistically disordered people are over the top and and so one good red flag marker for you is if you meet somebody and you're just blown away and you think oh my gosh this is my prince charming it's everything i've ever dreamed of if it feels like it's just too good to be true it probably is because these are powerfully um seductive and uh just blow you away over the top experiences you know and it, it, other relationships with normal neurotypical people seem so black and white and pale in comparison because these are just so larger than life. And I think that that's pretty much a hallmark quality of that whole love bombing stage. It's, it's infatuation. It's idealization. 
it's a lot of things, but it's not love. And it is powerful. What Whatever it is, is they can really turn on uh, some kind of magic there. And it's just, I find that just um, really kind of hard to believe how that works, but it, it is true what you're saying there. Yeah. Yes. And you know, we're not, I don't think people talk about it enough in this first phase, the first patterns get established already, right? That strong focus on the narcissist mm -hmm. away from the world, even almost away from ourselves and that enmeshment where we just don't quite know anymore where do we end and where do they start because they love all the same things mm -hmm. they admire all the same things they hate all the same things so there's this enmeshment and so boundaries start to disappear already it's like we don't quite know where this person starts and we end in the other way around yes. the other thing yeah the other thing is that um they also start to make us feel responsible for their happiness, right? It's like, oh my God, you're so wonderful. I've never had anyone who's treated me this way. And so it, it, the insinuation starts that we are responsible for how they're feeling. It's mm -hmm. all in a good way. We make them feel great. But the fact is it gets established that we are responsible for how they're feeling and behaving. So how does this change our brain, actually, so that we are uh, experiencing some kind of dysregulation or whatever you want to call it? Like we're we we're actually um, being affected on such a, a deep, almost identity kind of level. I'm not sure because I'm not an expert in the brain. You know, I, I've researched the brain, but I'm not the experts. I can't really um, say any more about it than I already have. But yes, you know, I think there are some fundamental changes that are happening already through the well, there would have to be. Yeah, I, I don't know the, the brain studies, the neurological part of that. But, um, you know, when you talk to people after they've come out the other side, um, they say that the more that that person seems to take their personality traits and take their characteristics and their likes and dislikes and all those things that you just mentioned, it, it's not as if they can hold on to them and still claim them for themselves. It's almost like that they hand them over and say, here, you can be me. You can not just mirror me and parrot me and copy me you know you can be me let me just give you some pieces of yeah. my identity and of myself just take them and uh it's okay and there's just that kind of of thing so that in a way you're uh diminished or confused about who you are because you just gave it to them and now they are you they like the same things you like. They they want to eat what you eat. They want to think what you think. They want to go where you want to go. And whatever your dreams are, they'll even take those too. Like if your dream, let's just say, happened to be that you were going to move to the ocean and live like on the coast and live near the ocean. And that was your life dream to do that sometime before you die. But the, that. They, they'll take that too and they will move to the ocean 
after they have have left you and and as if it were their dream but it's not it's yours so um i think it's it's not that you're sharing the qualities so much as you you give them to these people and just hand them over and say here you go and trust them that they're not going to run away with them but they're going to share them with you but they don't share them they take them for their own and mm -hmm. then you're left just really confused by all that yes yes and you know the next thing that happens after we've shared all the you know in the beginning when we share ourselves and we we feel so close the next stage um where something shifts in us is when they're asking for compromises that's the next step right mm -hmm. it's like oh let's go to the restaurant tonight and oh, i don't feel so well tonight can we just stay home and you were all excited to go and you're all dolled up and you want to go and all of a sudden that's not happening anymore there's a slight oh okay you know of course because you're not feeling well or whatever so they start to demand compromises or you know suggest compromises first and then demand them more and more and, and we give them up, you know, we give up our needs and our wishes in order to keep that amazing phase of connection alive because it's just so fabulous. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. and, and, and so after a little while, those compromises that we're being asked to make, compromises, I'm saying compromises, but they're not because actually it's always us giving yeah. it up because the narcissist is not compromising. Right? Exactly. And this is also where they, that's also where they test us out. You know, are we good material? Will we be the ones that will give in eventually? Are we good, uh, you know, victim material in a sense? And if we are really strong in that phase, they usually leave. That's usually the end of the relationship, right? But if we are willing to compromise, which we of course do because we are empathetic people, um, we, um, you know, we let go of that dream, of that plan. And before we know it, it becomes the norm. And so now we're also primed to put ourselves second to the narcissist. In the next phase, um, or actually starting through the whole thing, there's the isolation. Yes. From, from friends and family. And it happens, of course, in the love bombing phase, as I described, because we just want to be so close. But now it starts to shift. Now, you know, when compromises have been asked for, now we're being isolated from friends more like, oh, I want you to stay with me. I really need you. Why are you going without me? Or I don't really like that person. They're not being very nice. They looked at me the wrong way. Or I really don't like the way your dad treated me or your mom. I don't yeah. want to go to the party. Right? So there starts the isolation. And with that isolation, we lose our support system. Yep. We have no more way to do a reality check. We don't really get any feedback from others about the narcissist. Um, and because we don't have anyone else anymore that we can turn to or hang out with, we're focusing even more on the narcissist. They become the center of our worlds. And oftentimes the narcissist will also ask for us to leave our job, right? Yep. That's another thing. Mm -hmm. Or they will do something um, reckless, impulsive. Those are other characteristics of it. They'll do something so reckless, impulsive 
that they self-sabotage. They can, you know, I think a lot of narcissists are very smart, very creative, very talented, but no matter how much success they actually are able to uh, create for themselves, in the end, they always ruin it. They always sabotage it. They always do something. And so I think sometimes the loss of career for partners is that we're so busy trying to do damage control. When they flub things up and make a mess of something, you have to cover for it. You know, yeah. I know I had to do that. Mine lost, um, you know, several jobs. They asked him to to leave so they didn't have to straight up fire him. Uh, but they said, you know, we, we don't want you to come back next year. We are going to ask you to go. And then it came upon me to try to figure out how to shoulder our financial burdens until he could figure out what to do next. So it's things like that, that, and, and, and I want to say about the isolation of family, you don't notice that when it's happening sometimes when you're no. with them, mm -hmm. you don't even notice until much later, you look around and realize, oh, my gosh, while I was mm -hmm. in this stupor, in this coma, in this fanta shared fantasy with this person, I lost everybody. One by one, they all gradually went away. And I wasn't even aware that that was happening until one day you look up and it's like, wow, everybody's gone. And I'm alone with this person. And... How did that happen? I should have done something to stop it or prevent it or whatever, but I didn't even notice that it was happening, which is pretty hard not to notice. So it's kind of like you've been anesthetized, like you've been drugged or something so that you're not paying attention to what's happening. Your whole world is that person. Yeah. And you can't pay attention to friends and family, maybe your own children, because you're so busy trying to do whatever it is you're trying to do with that narcissist. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, as I said, it starts very early, even when we don't notice, right. It starts in a love in a love bombing phase and, and moves all the way through. Um, what happens after the isolation period, or, I mean, this happens all the time in isolation, but the next step the narcissist will take is the criticism. They will start to criticize us for little things first, very little things. Oh. And, and, uh -huh. and, and that it becomes more and more. It starts ever so slowly as well. They're so smart, right? It just goes so slowly that we will not sense the changes. I often say being with a narcissist is like being a frog in boiling water. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard that story. You know, if you put a frog in cold water and you turn up the heat slowly, they won't jump out because their body adjusts to the slightly warmer and warmer and warmer temperature until they get actually boiled alive. They will not leave that water when it yeah. gets too hot. That's exactly. But if you threw, yeah. But if you threw the frog into boiling water right away or warm, you know, too hot water, they would jump out because the difference is too stark. But mm -hmm. here what happens is it just goes ever so slowly. And so with the criticism... Is that the devaluation stage you're describing? The one where they start picking and unraveling things? In the yeah, relationship? you know, um, I think it starts before then. I think it starts before the devaluation phase. It's kind of just um, 
the beginning still of the testing, how much will this person stick with me? You know, can I criticize them? Can I get away with all that stuff? Okay. Um, it just increases over time more and more until the narcissist really kind of develops you completely. But that happens just a little later, I think. So when they start to criticize, um, we start of, you know, we start to question ourselves. Did yeah. I, you know, is that really so mean? But that's not how I meant it. And, and they also insinuate um, motivations that weren't there. So let's say, you know, you're coming home late because you were stuck at work mm -hmm. that's the reason and they will then give it uh, give it a different motivation you came home late because you rather hang out with the people at work or exactly. because you want to punish me or because da, 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 da. and they're so insistent and so convincing with their arguments that sooner or later we even start to question ourselves was there a little part of me that didn't want to come home was there a little part of me you know, so the criticism starts to sink in and it really goes to our center. We're not able for very long to withstand actually doubting ourselves and feeling like we might have done something wrong. Something changes. Again, we're so, there's no one we can bounce this off with. Our friends have left or we have little contact. The narcissist is already our whole world. And we're wondering like, where's that love we shared? Like, Oh my God, what did I do wrong? I want that back. Why is it so complicated? Am I so complicated? Am I really, you know, am I really too sensitive? Maybe I'm really too sensitive because obviously they're great. They're my soulmate. They must be right. You know, there's all that back and forth. Like we just don't quite know anymore. Like what did we really feel? What do they say we feel? And if they're picking at you, it tears down your self-confidence and yes. your your ability to trust yourself with what is happening mm -hmm. like is this really am i crazy or is like what's going on here am i really um as irritating as they say i am do i really and it can just be little things like um you know mine would mock me and i would be saying something about my kids and he'd say your kids and I would just, okay, what are you doing? And he'd say, kids, like, do I not say that in a way that is like, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to stop saying my kids and I'm going to say children, my children, because he made me so self-conscious uh, about that. And he would um, grab the the little dangly parts, <laughs> you know, that we all have, what are those called? Chicken wings. Mm -hmm. and, and, just, mm -hmm. and just smile and kind of just like, grab it and kind of like jiggle it a little bit like oh I love you so much jiggle 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 but it would just be horrifying and I would think oh my mm -hmm. gosh that's not mm -hmm. a sign of endearment and love that why would you you know you know I'm self-conscious about my arms what do you that's it's, it's like a mixed weird uh love hate um uh, up is down, down is up, kind of down the rabbit hole kind of stuff that they do is really hard to interpret, like, what are they trying to say? And you end up feeling really terrible about yourself. Yes, it's horrible. It's horrible. And the criticism also comes in very sneaky ways, right? It's not always an outright thing. It's as you're saying, you know, it might be that little squeeze and it's like, oh, you know, it might be. So when you say something, it's like, but I want to be nice. So for example, my mom, she's the narcissist in my family. 
uh, you know, when I had a new haircut or something, she'll say, oh, well, now you look like a woman. <laughs> like, yeah. what did I look like? Not finally. Like, yeah, God. exactly. Right. It's so tough. it would be these. Oh, yeah. We also use compliments to criticize us. Mm -hmm. right? And, and so. Mom is not the one that is telling you, oh, sweetheart, you're just so beautiful all the time. And, you know, and that kind of thing that creates a whole other host of problems as you as you navigate through life because those voices of your mother become interjects in your mind through those voices you hear like you go into a dressing room and you are putting on something and you see your hair and all of a sudden that comes back to you and and then you start feeling unattractive and you start you know, you don't even want to look at yourself in those big, long dressing room mirrors. <laughs> uh, and, and it's all because your mom has put that message in your brain that lives there. It's like a script or a programming system that just keeps running. And it's very hard to um, pluck it out, to identify it and like treat it like a virus in your operating system and you, that you have to get rid of the malware. Because that's exactly what it is. Um, it's really, really, really tough. Sometimes that voice, you get it confused and you think it's your own voice, but it's not. It's that narcissist right. giving you those those very toxic messages. Yes. And so when we are in a relationship with a narcissist and they have become the center of our world, those are the only words we will ever hear, right? I mean, 99% maybe. Yeah. Um, and so we also internalize that. And um, not only, you know, could do they criticize what we do, but they also criticize how we feel and think. And yeah. of course, we can never change how we feel, you know, uh, when we're sad, we're sad. But now we're being criticized for feeling sad and being made responsible for making the narcissist sad because we feel sad. Mm -hmm. So now it's not only our, our actions we're questioning. And we're becoming really self-conscious about it's also our feelings and when we're not allowed to feel how we feel that questions our very being so this goes yeah. very, very very deep many don't recognize that but that goes incredibly deep and does a lot of damage mm -hmm. absolutely and, even even with a married couple not just necessarily parent and child but if that spouse of yours is saying you know why like i don't get why are you sad there's no reason to be sad and then you start thinking okay i'm not supposed to be sad i must be crazy for feeling sad i'm not sad i'm i'm happy <laughs> and you talk yourself into false feelings and it just becomes uh insanity because you're denying and repressing your authentic real feelings within your real self and substituting something else that they're telling you is really what you should be feeling when it's not at all right right and this leads actually directly into gaslighting mm -hmm. because you know now we get into the phases where we've had conversations about some kind of problems because now there are more problems because of the criticism yes. um and then something we remember you know they said all of a sudden they didn't say, I never said that. And again, they're so convinced. And this might also be because they actually don't remember it because they have these, these gaps of memory, as you're saying, yes. I don't know. But they're so convincing 
that now you're starting to even doubt your own memory. And you're like, wait a moment, did I? Did I not? Like, I'm not quite sure, but I'm sure I did. So if I did, but he doesn't, then what does that mean? Maybe I'm losing my mind or I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. Did I make too big of a deal? Did I misunderstand what he was saying? You know, or the other way around that we said something like, hey, I'm going to go out with my friends. You never told me. And it's like, did I really forget? So now we're starting to doubt our memory. So we don't, we, we don't even have anything to hold on to, to uh, in the past. The past is now erased. It's being rewritten. So we have nothing uh, unless we write journals or we keep some kind of record where we write things down and we can say, wait a moment, I did say that. <laughs> if we don't do that, then we have no, we have no solid record. The record is being taken away. Absolutely. So one with our past, we can't be in our present. And if we now don't even trust our feelings anymore, we don't trust our memory anymore, then what can we trust about ourselves? Now we're on really unstable ground. It's like the narcissist is ripping the rug out from underneath us and the railings from the wall. There's nothing to hold on to because no conversation is possible anymore. No. No reasonable, logical conversation. Everything's been taken away. There's nothing to grab. Yeah, I love that imagery that you just created about how they pull the rug out from under your feet and then they pull the walls away so that you have nothing. You have nowhere to stand. You have no nothing to grab hold of. You're just, um, like, if you can imagine that, it's like you're just falling and there's no end to it and there's no help for you. Uh, and you're just lost and the worst part about it is a lot of times when that's happening you're not even noticing that that it's that bad you're not noticing that dynamic that 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 is actually what's going on until much later at the time you're making excuses for them you're you're justifying their behavior you're rationalizing what they have done or what they've said to anybody and everybody who notices and tries to point it out to you you are fiercely coming to their support um because of that you're you know intermittent reinforcement trauma bonding fear of abandonment all of that stuff rolled together probably you're codependent or and vulnerable because of that so you you don't see it at the time that it that you're that they've just taken it all and just left you hanging just floating in space not knowing who you are where you're going what's happening or anything all you have is them to hold on to so you try to grab them a little tighter and hold on a little harder and they're the last person on earth that you want to do that with because they're the ones that are creating this this horrible uh deconstruction of who you are right. i think so all these changes happen during the course of a relationship they eventually devalue you they eventually discard you and that can take years narcissists have what is called an island of stability. Psychopaths don't have that. They don't have any anything like that. But a narcissist has one area of their life that is constant and reasonably uh, regulated, 
where everything else is chaos and never works out for them. It could be their marriage while they go from job to job and ruin everything and everything fails them. It could be their job where they go relationship to relationship to relationship and never make that work. But there's usually one thing that is constant in their lives. And that's the thing that they cling to, to get the supply and the fuel to be able to survive and to support their false persona, to keep it alive and keep it going. So, um before we get too far in time we've got about 15 minutes left uh we've talked about the narcissist brain we've talked about kind of what happens in these relationships to the person that's there with them loving them trusting them trying to be with them and trying to get their needs met by this person which is absolutely <laughs> never going to happen um can we talk a little bit, um, I, I want to give enough time to just kind of go through, um, like, what can we, um, let's see, how do I want to frame this? What are the must-have conditions for healing from all of this to be possible? What are some of the things that we need to do? Because I always like to, even you know, no matter how bad things are when we're explaining it i like to give something that, that has hope something to work on something that you can actually um take control of what what do you what do you think could be some of these must-have uh conditions for healing to begin well you know the first thing is we must feel safe in the relationship with the narcissist in the end you know through the last stages of the, the back and forth between the um, devaluation and love bombing, like we lose everything, we lose our sense of self and we're not feeling so safe anymore. We're not physically safe, we're not mentally safe, we're not spiritually safe right. and emotionally safe. So the first thing we need really is that safety. Um, you know, a lot of people are trying to heal or start the healing journey while they're with a narcissist. It's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard. So we need, we need the safe space, which means we need to be surrounded by people who will love us for who we are, who, where the love is unconditional. And an environment that is calm and supportive because we have been in such upheaval, you know, it's crazy. It, it was so much movement, it was so unpredictable. We need to find solid ground. We've been on the ocean in a rocky boat with a storm. We need to get to solid land, a little island somewhere where there's some solid ground of calm and support and people who are understanding um, of our situation, which is actually not that easy to find because only someone who has been with a narcissist before truly understands where we are at. So this is important. Even very well-meaning friends who don't quite know what narcissism is about and what it can do might not be that fully stable, safe place because well, they will start to question and say, you know, it takes two people and what might you have done wrong? Like what we need is someone who really gets the trauma we've gone yes. through. So Absolutely, safety. that's true. You know, you need to find people who speak that language, develop a tribe. They have meetup groups that are for narcissistic abuse recovery people they do online. I recommend people to check out um, NAMI and, and CODA. 
NAMI is like a, a mental illness site that offers support groups and CODA is Codependence Anonymous. Um, and they have online groups and in-person groups near everybody. I mean, they're everywhere all the time, kind of like AA meetings are, or something like that. And I highly recommend finding your people, finding your tribe and making that happen. Because like you said before, you've lost friends, you've lost family, you've lost these people that, that you have been isolated away from. They're not there. Your friends don't, if you do have friends, which you may not have any at this time, um, you know, for me, I had lost everyone, my children, my family, my friends. It was just me and him. And when he left me, I had, had no idea what to do, where to go, who to turn to, because nobody knew what was happening to me. I didn't even know what was happening to me at first, which was horribly scary. Um and so you, you have to find that. I think that even some mental health professionals trained, even with a PhD, some clergymen who are supportive and offer counseling through the church, all of these places that you think of, I'm going to go there and I'm going to find help. Unfortunately, so much of that help is they don't know what this is. And this is not your typical recovery. You know, this is not some generic seven stages of grief. You're going to get through it and start dating again in 12 months. It's not that. This is like being in a cult. It's like being brainwashed. It's like being hijacked by aliens and having some alien program installed in you. It's something else entirely. And if those helpful people, even counselors, therapists, doctors, they may not know. They may not have been trained in this and they may not know how to help you. They can do more damage than, than help you if you go to the wrong ones. That's why they need life coaches like you and like me, because we understand it and we speak the language and we know what helps and what doesn't. Sometimes they don't. And you can find those people, but it is not easy. It, it took me two or three different therapists before I found someone who who knew what what this was yes I recommend to people who are you know looking for help like this one-on-one -on -one, that they talk to the person ask have you had you know a personal experience with a narcissist because that is really important for the recovery yes um yeah so, so. the next so this will already help, you know, when we have a, someone who really understands what we're saying and speaks our language, that will already help us to regulate our emotions. Yes. So that's the first step of like the calming down, the figuring out what am I feeling? The next step is that we need to integrate what have, has happened because that past is like that big bubble of like, what the hell? As you're saying, it's like you've been on another planet. Yes. And, and a lot of women or people who have been with a narcissist blame themselves so much about what has happened. And so this is where, you know, for the integration, we need to speak about our experiences, but, but also really understand narcissism. Mm -hmm. Until we understand the narcissist, how they function, and why they do what they do, we, we won't be able to we won't be under, able to understand what we've gone through because we'll still be blaming ourselves and looking for, you know, what was it like 
we still see it as a normal thing. We need to understand that the narcissist is another human being. It's not a normal human being, which is why, you know, you said like an alien. <laughs> it yeah. is really a different world they another live in. It's, yes. And because their brain is functioning so differently, they are an entirely different human being that doesn't function the way we do. Okay. And when we understand that, sorry, what would you like to say? No, I'm just thinking about how much they are not um, like a regular human being. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people will say they're not human. And th there's, you know, you read a lot of stuff online. Of course, they're human. But the things that make us have humanity, I think it's just a matter of semantics. The things that make us mm -hmm. have humanity seem to be missing. <laughs> I was just yes. thinking about that, like, oh, my gosh, are they human or are they alien? Um, maybe a little bit of both. Yes. So, you know, until we understand that everything they do is just for fuel and, you know, that would be another discussion about that whole subject. But until we understand that everything they do has to do with fuel, we will not understand why they did what they did. And we will take everything personally when in fact nothing they do is personal ever. Not in the beginning, the love bombing, not in the end. Once we can see that, something starts to shift inside of us where all of a sudden we take the blame away from ourselves. We, we understand that, wow, there's nothing I could have done right. Uh, I was hooped if I did, and I was hooped if I didn't. There was nothing I could have done differently to change the outcome of this. Once we understand that, there's a huge weight that falls off our, our shoulders. And then we get into the next part, which is we need to get back to radical self-love because that is really the core that the narcissist destroyed in us. I always say it's kind of like a spider web. You know, there's, there's a spider web and the strands are not strong, but when the center is woven, which is that feeling of self-worth and self-esteem, we can go out in the world and live our life. Uh, because when the wind comes and blows the spider web, it's not going to break. It's got a strong center. Like but if that center is missing, if that center is missing, we can try to get a job, make relationships, whatever, strands on the outside. If the center is missing and a storm comes along and blows it, they all break so easily because we don't have that stability. And that stability really comes from radical self-love. Um, it's so important. And that is unconditional love, right? We've just spent maybe years or decades with a person who only loved us conditionally. Or if we've grown up with a narcissist, mm -hmm. that was our first experience, conditional yes. love. We've never had that center. Whereas in a later relationship, if we had some of that center, the narcissist will break that center and tear it apart, which is what changes us so fundamentally, which is why everything is so hard in life. We are not centered in the core. And so, you know, the, the radical self-love, loving ourselves no matter what, and being with ourselves and focusing on ourselves again, because all of our focus has been on the narcissist. Now we need to turn that around. You know, yeah. we've understood narcissism. Our focus was still there, understanding this, but now we need to turn this around, the focus, and focus on ourselves so that we can feel what we feel again and feel that it's okay to feel how we feel so that we're not ashamed of who we are anymore, so that we... Um, 
build a relationship with ourselves anymore, which has been broken. And then our dreams can come back and our wishes and the knowing of who we are can come back. That needs to come back. That is so important. That is, um, you know, I think that is the that is the fundamental building block of healing right there, that package. I think it That's also need to focus on when, first. You, when you speak of core, I think uh, it's also about self learning to self validate and to kind of fill your own cup and to stop looking outside of yourself for other people to complete you or to do those things for you. Uh, and a lot of times, a lot of us haven't ever learned to do that. We don't know how yes. to self-validate. And it does start with self-love and 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 trusting our intuition and building our everything, our, our conscience, our routines, our identity. Who are we? What do we like? What do we stand for? What are our ethics and our morals? Narcissists don't have ethics or morals. They don't know what that is. They make their own rules and do things their way, but we know what that is. We know what our boundaries are. And so when we reclaim those and, and stick with them, you know, nobody's going to violate my boundaries again, <laughs> you know, and have that kind of attitude moving forward, that can be very strengthening. Beyond healing, it can make you strong and impervious to future um, uh being tempted to be with people like this, I guess. So um, we just have a few minutes left. What if you, if there were one thing that you could give us for advice, those of us who are stuck maybe, and it's been months or years and we're still um, feeling like we're not free of that narcissist or for maybe those at the beginning and they're just now learning what it is and and how it's affected them and and they're processing that regardless of where we are in this journey do you have some advice for us mm, let me think <laughs> <laughs> that's such a big question right yeah like the one thing we need to remember place. above okay. everything else if there's one thing to okay away. yes i have a thing i have a thing Yay! <laughs> It's Phoenix, it's, Phoenix, know, like the Phoenix. You're going to tell us <laughs> how do we resurrect ourselves? Okay. The one thing I think we need to remember is that there lives a wisdom inside each of us oh, that yeah. knows the answer to every question we have, at least the very next step. And so we can connect with that part inside ourselves, which is, you know, it's another thing, it's a skill to have. But if we can connect with that part, then we can have our own healing journey because we will only always we will always know what is our next step. And and you know, to get to that place, we really need to practice radical self-love. Radical self-love opens up that space again so we can hear that million-year-old wise self that we all have. It's quite fascinating, you know. When I when I when I work with people, that's what I do. I, I help them connect with that part of themselves, and mm -hmm. then they will know what the next step is because I truly don't know what their next step is. I don't because everyone's journey is so different, right? What's so learn right for one person? Yourself. Learn right. to trust your yourself. Yes. To follow that intuition. Yes. It's 
the best thing yes. ever. How can we contact you, Ms. Phoenix Gould? Yes, well, you know, uh, we could put it into the comments underneath the podcast. And here's also something that I would love love to do. I have uh, developed a step-by-step um, -step progress process to establish radical self-love because everyone talks about it. You know, you've got to love yourself. You've got to love yourself. But I, when I started my journey, I've heard that for years. And I'm like, I don't know how. I don't know how. How? Is it taking a bath? Is it taking myself out to the restaurant? How do I love myself when I when I don't feel love towards myself, right? And so, so you, you have a, a roadmap? You have created- I have a roadmap, yes. <laughs> and it's very simple. And I made an audio recording so people can use it. And okay, you know, so, if, so, if it's possible- uh, The audio recording- um, mm -hmm. tell, us, tell us about your audio recording that uh, helps us process, would you call it radical self-love? Yeah, it's a practice of radical self-love. It's not just something that happens. It's something we have to do. Okay. And to change something permanently, to change something permanently, we have to have an experience of self-love. And yeah. so the audio tape I made provides an experience of self-love for the people who listen to it. And I'd be so happy to share that with anyone that would like to have access to it. Okay, so we could so I will put, um, I'll put a link on how to reach uh, Phoenix Gould and how to access her audio program that teaches radical self-love, which we have identified as one of the fundamental core things to work on after we've learned everything about what has happened to us, what is the narcissist, all of that, we don't want to get stuck in analysis paralysis. We want to move on, forget about them, move on and work on ourselves. And to work on ourselves, we want to build that radical self-love. We want to work on our trusting ourselves and our intuition. We want to build an identity that belongs to us so that we know who we are, what we want, and what is our purpose and meaning for being here and all of that. Uh, we've got lots of fun stuff to do to be whole, self-validating, self-sufficient, fill our own cup, warrior, survivor, kick butt kind of people. Yep, that's yes. what we need to do. Exactly. We're going to put oh, that in the, in, the, in the description below so you can get that. Uh, what were you going to yeah, say? There's an, well, there's another way people can contact me. I have a Facebook group that is called Healing from the Narcissist and where I describe all the steps of healing and information about the narcissist. So if they would like to, they can they can find me there. It's called Women Healing from the Narcissist. That's the group for women. And I have one for men, which is called Men Healing from the Narcissist. Awesome. And, and yeah, from there, I they will know to contact say, me. Yeah. For for workshops or one-on-one -on -one coaching also. I hear it's 50-50, right? Have you heard that too? That narcissism used to be more uh, men, but now it's about 50-50 and women are, have caught up. <laughs> There's more you know? men like a pass. That's true. But as far as narcissists... Um, maybe 60, 40. I mean, it's definitely, there's more the uh, female narcissist than there used to be. And I have several uh, male clients who will tell you that is true. <laughs> so that's not, you know, it's interesting. I've, I don't, yes. 
I've heard, for example, that um, there might have been always more male, uh, female narcissists also, but women will talk about their relationship with a narcissist more often than a man will talk about their difficulties with a female narcissist. That's true. They don't want so, to come to confess what happened to them. It's not kind of what they've been built to do. Anyway, yeah. we're going to have to go for today. Uh, I'm going to post all of that stuff in the description below. Uh, we've gotten a lot of really good information today, and I love the way that you describe things. It makes it very vivid and real. Um, I hope people have some things to think about, some things that they can use. And uh, I just want to thank you again so much for taking your time. Time is our most precious commodity, right? And for taking your time to join us today and try to um, get the word out. That's what we're trying to do is to educate and support and help people heal and to get past this and to help everybody to understand a little bit more about what this is that is going on here so thank you again um i'm i'm i much appreciate you and um there will be links in the um uh in the description All thank right. you so much Pradina. i really enjoyed having this conversation with you and seeing your full self right here on the screen after what you've gone through yeah well we are survivors right <laughs> <laughs> okay, and my cat here has come to say bye bye. Say bye, Sophie. That's Sophie. <laughs> bye, Sophie. <laughs> okay, bye bye, everybody. Much love.